you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons limited series. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Mort, is the cure ready? Yes, loaded for dispersal in two minutes. Procedure traumatic-free, but not lethal. Malin's research invaluable. She's okay? Headed to safety now. Her survival fortunate. We'll stabilize new government should Rex get any ideas. Good match. Promising future for Krogan. Damn! Control room atop of Shroud Tower. Must take elevator up. You're going up there? Yes. Manual access required. Have to counteract STG sabotage. Ensure cure dispersed properly. Morton, this whole thing is coming apart. There's got to be another way. Remote bypass impossible. STG countermeasures in place. No time to adjust cure for temperature variance. No, no other option. Not coming back. Suggest you get clear. Explosions likely to be problematic. Morton, no! Shepard, please. Need to do this. My project, my work, my cure. My responsibility. Would have liked to run tests on the seashells. I'm sorry. I'm not. Had to be me. Someone else might have gotten it wrong. Hello and welcome to Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast, where we're discussing our experiences playing through the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm joined by Chip Locke. Howdy, Space Cowboys. And Corey Kurabara Treadway. Greetings from space. And this is episode number 51. And I have been waiting to talk about this for a long time. I have been messaging you guys and uh, <laughs> we've had some scheduling issues and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk about the Duchanka episode. I can't wait to talk about the Duchanka episode. We talked about the other Duchanka stuff to get out, out of the way because yes, I, this, I was, uh, again, this is, you know, for certain parts of this, this is my first time playing through. I had not done this mission before uh, we, we started this here and this this is up there with Vermeer as far as like the, just the sheer number of like, holy shit moments that happen here and just the the tugs on the heartstrings and the 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 it's you're all over the map on mm-hmm. this mission it's just amazing so i don't know what what did you guys think of it i mean i think it's probably the single best mission in this game so there you go uh there's other really good missions in this game but if i had to pick one like gun to my head i don't know why you would put a gun in my head and ask me to pick the best mission in Mass Effect 3, but I would say Tuchanka. Yeah, and like out of all the missions that I played, like the most memorable mission of this game is pretty much the Tuchanka mission for me, especially because it gives me decisions that literally either way is kind of like, well, I'm getting screwed one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. It really yeah, like, that's... it does everything so nicely. Like it ties up like the impact of the decisions you make and the whole vibe of this game, which is, you know, there's no, there's no right decision. Like people are dying no matter what, like that sort of tragic vibe that the whole game has. It ties it up all really nicely together. Yeah. There's, there's no perfect choice where you can save everybody. Sadly. 
And, and uh, it doesn't like yeah. shove yes. it in your face, right? Like it's not kind of like no. look like every outcome is bad. It's just like play this, like have this experience, like make a hard call and you're not going to be happy no matter what decision you make. But you like, well, I mean, no, you're saying Kara? I'd say like, but either, but I'm also not like upset about it. I'm more like, it's a fair decision either way, but it's just kind of right. like, ah, I hate making this choice. Yeah. Well, it's not as, I guess, uh, overt as Vermeer. Like Vermeer is very much, we are going to put Ashley and Caden one against the other and you have to make a decision and you immediately know like whichever one you pick, the other one is dying. It's, it's, right. it's the, the green goblin hanging Gwen Stacy and the bus of kids off the bridge. Like Spider-Man's got to choose there. You can't get them both. I mean, yeah. of course there, there is definitely Gwen Stacy. The kids could go suck it, but whatever. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well. I mean, venom suit. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If only, yeah, if only Spider-Man had a renegade bar. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Parker Paragon. But uh no, in this case here, like well, you know, as far as like Morden's fate, for example, like this is the culmination of decisions you've made for a long time. Right. And ultimately, whether or not he's gonna survive this, it's not it, you know, there at no point is there uh if you do this, Morden will die. It's just kind of it just kind of becomes slowly obvious, like that's a suicide mission. Morden's the guy that's gonna do it. And more suicide uh, than yeah. the actual suicide mission from two. Right. I mean, there is like a weird, ridiculous pathway you can take to have Morden live, but it's arguably the worst possible way you could play this mission. So, yeah, like Morden's going to die here if he's yeah. even alive at this point. Well, even then, wasn't it that uh, you needed to have Rex kill Rex on Vermeer in order to get Morden to survive anyway? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so literally, once again, you have like Rex versus Morden as far as balancing the scales mm -hmm. here, except, you know, it's not, you know, it, it's not clear. You'd have to like, you know, have the flow chart of decisions right. and you'd have had to make the decision for Morden way back on Vermeer, you know, so, so obviously you're not making this decision on your very first playthrough. Um, at least, you know, if, what, however that encounter on Vermeer with Rex goes, you're not thinking ahead to how can I protect Morden? Well, you have no idea. Because you. You yeah. have no idea. You, that that's only once you've played through the whole trilogy, or at least through Mass Effect Two, that you're you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. and you've done some ho homework elsewhere to even be aware that that's an option. Yeah, definitely wasn't an option when we originally played the game series because back then you have no idea what's coming in two and three. So it's not like you'd be like, if I do this now in a future game, I this decision will matter. Well, that's that you know th that's the one thing that's got to be interesting is to you know like be in like the bioware offices when they're coming up with this stuff like at what point were they like okay you know if you killed rex we'll let morden survive why not like you know as far as how they're they're coming up with some of these decisions because ultimately as pained as these decisions are and as, as you know challenging as they can be you know it's the evil geniuses at bioware that put us in these situations yeah, i kind of so, you know all, all credit to them and i kind of wonder like how many decisions were based on like the feedback from the second game and stuff you know like how people took the characters and stuff, or like were these planned in advance before they were, they made three? That's true. So, so enough about the you know before we get further into Morden's fate and and the rest of the mission, let's actually hear about what happens when we go to cure the genophage in the Tuchanka Shroud mission. Before Shepard and team even set foot on Tuchanka, they receive word that a Reaper is guarding the facility. They begin planning their attack. The Solarian Dalatras messages Shepard. She wants Shepard to sabotage the cure in exchange for Solarian aid for the Crucible. 
planet's side, Shepard and team fight off husks around the shuttle landing zone. They join a meeting of the Krogan clans. The Krogan are angry because Morden is present, and Eve bullies them into behaving. They form a convoy to head to the Shroud, and Shepard must decide whether to reveal the Dalatras' attempt to bribe him. The convoy is stopped due to obstruction, but the Turian air support attack the Reaper regardless. A damaged ship crashes into the convoy. The convoy flees while Shepard and team are on foot. They continue their journey through the catacombs, where tremors indicate that Kalros, the mother of all Thresher Maws, is nearby. They also encounter modified Rachni. Eventually, they make it to the end of the tunnels and rejoin the convoy, which is now being pursued by Kalros, who consumes Erdnot Reeve. Rex and Eve concoct a plan to attack the Reaper. Shepard and team fight their way past the Reaper and some brutes and hit two hammers to summon Kalros to the Shroud, where she attacks the Reaper. After being hit by the Reaper's laser, Kalros submerges, only to appear behind the Reaper and drag it down into the planet. Shepard observes the battle and then heads up to the Shroud, where Morden is ready to ascend the tower. Morden acknowledges this is a suicide mission and parts with Shepard. He activates the cure just before the top of the Shroud explodes. Rex celebrates with Eve, who shares with Shepard that her name is Erdnot Baraka. Okay, so now that we heard that, I want to step back a moment. Because that's not what I said we were going to talk about at the start of this episode. You would. <laughs> you would do this, wouldn't you? This I would do this. Before we go to Tuchanka and, and, and go through all that here, um, let's talk. Let's just check in real quickly with some of the people. See, that's the problem. I'm so excited about this mission. I want to get to it. I don't want to get to the stuff before it. But there is some cool stuff that happens before it. So now that we've got that out of the way. Um, on the Normandy, you get a message that Liara wants to meet with you. Which... Okay, I mean, she's right over in Miranda's old area, you know, doing her shadow broker business. It's not like, you know, you know, I, I guess it's like Shepard's open door policy. You know, my office hours are like, you know, every Thursday from like four to eight. Yeah. <laughs> come hang out. It's also like you could just come and just talk to me. We're on the same ship. Why not to come to you? Why can't you just go, hey, you want to come over here and talk for a second? You know, it'd be cool. That's what uh, some other regular people did. They're like, hey, come over here a second. We'll talk. We'll talk about right away from here. There was nah. I'll send a right. message. Even they're on the same dash darn ship. It's, I think like the being the shadow broker is getting to Liara's head. I mean, she had that we talked about last week the Barlavon mission where yeah. like, she has Barlavon. When she, she could have just said, "Hey, let's let's," even then she could have just gone to Joker and been like, "Hey, can we just swing over there?" She didn't even need Shepard to really like intervene. Yeah. Um. But you know, so so you go, you meet with Liara, and she basically reveals this idea that she's had to make these recordings, this little like bl- black box device that's going to have a whole bunch of information about you know, like, uh, like the Asari and the Turian and the Krogan and the humans and like their society and the, the culture. And and it looks like she's going to have like glyph as the VI running it. And then she's going to like plant these all throughout the galaxy, which basically she's recreating the Prothean beacons to a degree, although yeah. presumably not as messed up. Give it 50,000 years and we'll see. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Because who knows if they read the read the stuff the same way as they do now. Maybe they need to figure out how to think like the current races, you know. That yeah, that's that is a good point. That I mean, as far as the how she's transmitting this information, like you know, because like, that's the problem, is like we don't understand the Protheans and the Protheans too, like seeing what we see from Javik, like they're so empathic, they're operating on like a hot like a higher mental wavelength level mm-hmm. that you know, like, yeah, it's cool. We can touch their beacons and we get all this visual information, but none of it makes any sense. Right. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, so it seems this is a little more low tech in that regard, but still, you know, yeah, who, I mean, but that's the same thing. Like, we've done this. Well, like, we've sent ships into space with, uh, was it, like, Voyager, well, yeah. with, like, carvings of what people look like. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, it's the Voyager disc problem, but the, the thing with the Voyager disc is, like, or I, I, my favorite is uh, Contact, the book or the movie. Uh, where they you, you get this alien signal and they first have to try and explain like, and here's how you decode our protocols to even read any of this complex stuff. And it's like this really long, difficult process to communicate that. Well, it's just like like the original Rosetta Stone we used to translate Egyptian from Roman and everything else because we, we couldn't translate that till we had a basis for what it actually would mean. And that's human culture. Trying to figure out right. alien culture without a basis is kind of like... Well, what could this mean? It's a freaking weird symbol right over here. Yeah, it's it's a complex problem. And, I mean, credit to Liara for trying to at least do something. It, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, her being the Prothean expert, she studied the Protheans, you know, like this has been kind of, you know, her life for 200 years has been, you know, immersed in what we could find of their culture. It makes sense that she'd be like, well, hey, like, we are very much in danger of all getting our, our, you know, completely wiped out here. And so, well, what did the Protheans do? How did they approach the problem of, like, how do we pass this knowledge on? This very important knowledge that, like, the Reapers are going to come in 50,000 years. You need to be ready. How do we pass this on? Well, basically, let's do the same thing they did. Let's do the beacons, but we'll do it to the best of our ability. Right. And, yeah. So, I mean, it it, it makes sense. It's very incredibly far-thinking for the current Liara. Who seems to be not really thinking that far as the shadow broker and just, I don't know, doing a kind of terrible job. Like, oh, that's actually a good idea, Liara. Good job. You finally learned something. I'm glad. The problem is she's dual classing between shadow broker and archaeologist. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you dual class, you're never quite as good in one as the other. So, you know, she, she should have stayed as an archaeologist. No, it's, it's a brilliant idea. And, I, I, you know, as soon as this happened, I'm like, this, like. You know, I wanted to like high five her. Like this is this is great, and she does have a little nice moment where she's like, "Shepherd, how do you want to be remembered here?" And she, you know, Glyph pulls yeah. up a little image of Shepherd there, and it's like, "Oh, that that that's sweet." Like, um, and and was I had Shepherd go with the just be honest route, just just you know, leave all the all the details in. Um, I don't expect that that'll make a difference in the end, but who knows? <laughs> you know, if I want to be remembered, I'd rather be remembered as a, as being on a skateboard, you know, doing some cool tricks. But you know, it's just me. <laughs> He, he died as he lived <laughs> doing sick flips and stunts and grinds um there's also a little bit of this in uh mass effect andromeda there's like some hidden liara not really hidden but there's some sort of side content liara stuff you can find where she also has the same sort of like we need to preserve records of our civilization you know just in case and the i mean the whole conceit of andromeda very much seems to be like a bunch of people dipped when the Reapers were a threat because, eh, just in case. You want to hedge your bets. That's fair. Well, I think, if, before we go on too much of channel, I do think it's uh, that game is interesting since it's like 600 years after the Reaper invasion, technically speaking. Like that's how far ahead the future Andromeda is? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Because, well, they, they have to travel through regular, regular light speed through the, the cold vastness of space, and um, it's, very, it's very slow. It's it's less than lights because they can't go. They don't have any. any it's relays. faster than light, but like faster than light at a pace that is still not an like I don't know. It, it's sort of confusing. Like their conceit there is a little weird because 
the Andromeda galaxy is 2 billion light years away. And they're like, well, it took us 600 years to do this. So definitely faster than light, but like only by so much. Yeah. But that's something we can talk about in maybe a future project. Sure. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I, don't, I like, I like this little time capsule thing. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it does like, I don't know. Uh, hopefully the R doesn't need to be successful. We don't need to preserve our civilization in this specific way. Yeah, this is all the you call it a time, you call it a time capsule, and that makes me think of like like in like fifth grade the little yeah. projects you do where it's like you make like a mixtape of like these are the songs we're listening to in 1990, and you put it in there, and like oh hey like the little slap wrists, <laughs> and we throw them in there and all that stuff, and and then you yeah. dig it up in 2030, and people are like, what the hell is a tape? What am I going <laughs> to play this with? Like I got to go to the antique shop. But that's and get a cassette deck. You know, it's funny though, but like literally, like that is the that's the problem we were just talking about. Yeah, like you know, like you know, literally, that's only forty years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) fifty. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah, I remember doing those time capsules, uh, and it was the same. Like, oh wow, and it's funny because um, as a kid, you have like no concept of this. Like, oh, fifty years, I guess that's forever, effectively. Uh, right. and then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh, I can remember things from 20, 30 years ago. Crap. Okay. Well, and I, and I, what was it? When I was in high school, one of our teachers, he had us write letters to ourselves and he would keep them for two years. So he would okay. write a letter and get it. Even then the two years, like I'm writing myself in two years from now, I'm going to be so different that it's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, you're still different. You do grow, like, grow, but like it, it, it was not that long. <laughs> well, I don't know. You can change a lot in two years. Yes. Especially as a, ch- as a kid, there's a lot of development there in the time. True. Frame, yeah. So. Yeah, but yeah, but it's not like forty or fifty years. Like it's it's two years. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. So yeah, so Liar's got this cool idea. Any other thoughts on that? No. And then, what would you guys put in the in the time capsule if you had a choice? Every episode of Squad Goals. Heck yeah. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say every episode of Seinfeld, and I was like, yeah, I can, I could see that. <laughs> I can, I can be down also for that. that. <laughs> Every episode of Seinfeld, but the audio is replaced by squad goals. There you go. Okay. <laughs> no makes no sense, but you know, they're aliens. They don't get what's going yeah. on anyway. They're not gonna understand it anyway. Um Yeah. I don't yeah, that that's a hard question. Like now I'm thinking very hard about like how would I design a time capsule that was meant to be reinterpreted thousands of years in the future. And I have I have no idea. Yeah, I'm also trying to think of like how like this project is it makes sense, like how where do you how do you decide where to put it? How how deep do you bury it so someone can find it, but the reapers can't find it? You know, right? Well, it seems like she's got a lot of them. I mean, that's and it's kind of the the same thing with the Protheans a little bit. I mean, there's several Prothean beacons that we've encountered. They all seem to have the same message on there, at least as far as we can tell. Um, and so yeah, mm-hmm. so you bury some deeper than others. You put some on, you know, a water planet. You put some on like a desert planet. You know, you you know wherever you go, you just kind of cast one out so you know as long as you've got the resources to keep throwing out these little boxes yeah just you know go for it so let's go ahead then there's another interaction that i want to talk about and that is uh having dr chakwas on the ship uh if you have her on the ship she can't hang out in med bay because morden is hanging out in the med bay with eve and so she instead goes and sits in the crew quarters and she's sitting there talking to i believe it's engineer adams it seems like she has a lot of interactions with him. Like they're pretty mm-hmm. good friends. It seems which makes sense because they were both on the original Normandy. 
And he's like, so, you know, and he's asking her like, so how, how are you doing? How did it feel being abducted and surviving that whole uh, collector abduction at the end of Mass Effect 2? And she's like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then she kind of pauses for a moment. She's like, actually, I'm not doing very well at all. Like, yeah. this really is tough. And then she like breaks down and you're just like, oh, and you just want to go give her a hug because like. You know, I mean, it's Dr. Chocolate. She's awesome. She shouldn't be, you know, it makes sense that she's struggling with that. Yeah. Um, it's a very, yeah, very you know, normal, very human response to like a really stressful and terrible tra traumatic experience. It's like in a pod where you possibly could have got ripped to shreds, turned into liquid goo. Yeah. Try not to think about that when you're trying to go to sleep at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, at least, you know, she made it out. She's back on the Normandy. Like things are better. But yeah, that's. It's it's a it's it's a, a a humane moment. It's a, a sad moment. Yeah, um, but you know, it, it's another reminder, like of all the stuff these people have been through. Like this is not a, you know, this is one of those things. Like you, you the what is it? Like you know, you see like the meme or whatever. Like you know, you you find yourself in the last game you played. Do you survive? And it's like, no, I don't. I don't want to be in the Mass Effect world. <laughs> they right. got some cool shit in there, but no, no. Overall, this is not a fun place. Yeah. At least not during this time frame, and probably not even before this time frame. It's kind of a rough galaxy if you don't have biotics, military training, and a bunch of other shit. Yeah, maybe for the 600 years after this, it's not so bad. Yeah, you know, kind of. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Mm. We'll get to that. And again, we might be also, we're also, we also get to see mostly the very harsh parts of the galaxy because the nature of Shepard's job, we get to see the more rougher areas. There's probably some nicer areas you get to live in, a little higher scale, a little more upper class, less violence, sure. less guns. So one other interaction I want to highlight is uh, if you have Daniels and Donnelly back on the ship uh, down in engineering with Adams, uh, you can go talk to them. And they do have a little bit of a callback there uh, that you go talk to them. And then as you leave, um, uh, Donnelly is like, I can't believe he came down and talked to us. And Daniels is like, I told you he would, which is similar to what happens the first time you talk to them in uh, Mass Effect 2. You go down there, he's like, I can't believe he came down to talk to us. Yeah. And I'm like, I told you he would. Um, but also, too, you go down there and Daniels, or no, Donnelly rather, cannot help but fall all over himself talking about Edie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and putting aside what he says, my favorite part of this is that Daniels is like, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like she's just, she's completely resigned to it. He's going to put his foot in his mouth or something else. I don't know. But wow. he's, yeah, he's, he's a complete. <laughs> yeah. And then she was just horny. waiting for this shoe to drop. She's like, oh God. Yeah, but, okay. But, let's get it. Let's get it over with. This might be just me, but I also probably wouldn't be saying all this stuff. When I, while I'm technically inside their body, because technically Edie is also the Normandy, I can hear and see everything on the ship. So it's kind of yeah, like Donnelly doesn't care, man. Like he does not clearly care, <sighs> right? Mysterious airlock with Dolly, and it just just opened up. We don't know what happened. He got spaced. It just kind of sucked. I, don't know. I mean. I think Edie's too preoccupied with figuring out her relationship with Joker to really care. Well, it only takes up like yeah. like like five percent of her brain power. She could take care of everything else. Well, if there were two of these robots, let's say we found another one of these Cerberus robots that you know whatever assassin bots, whatever you want to call them. Now we know that Edie's not using her full processing power in the one robot because she's still running the ship. So then, like presumably, she could take over another robot. So if there were two Edies walking around, like. One could be with Joker, and then like another one could theoretically be with somebody else on the ship. 
like or would it still be like no it's still one ed one consciousness therefore like you know like basically i guess is joker dating the ship yeah oh yeah so it's futurama yes yes yeah well it's also kind of more of a situation it's like for joker what's the best relationship for him the ship absolutely i mean don't think it's the other way yeah the one thing that I do find interesting about the Daniels Donnelly relationship is like Daniels clearly knows Donnelly is like this. And I mean, for the most part, it seems like they're, they're professional, but it's kind of implied like, oh no, they get along very well. Yeah. Like, 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 I don't know if they ever actually become a, a couple officially at any point, but like they are very close and, and it, maybe they are. And this is just, it's just like, oh, like he's, he's, he's my boyfriend, but he's also just a massive horn dog. There is people like that, and you somehow let them go. There are people like that. That is true. Yeah. He's literally the guy in that meme of, uh, what is it, uh, walking with the girl, looking behind with the other girl, and except Daniels is just like shrugging, just like, yeah, whatever. He can look. <laughs> but yeah, is there any other interactions on the ship worth discussing at this point? I th- Those are really the three that I wanted to highlight. No, I don't think so. Most of it is like normal crew talk. Yeah, I'm double checking if there's anything about the relationship. I'm not seeing anything. Apparently they're nope, nope, nothing over here. Oh well. One other thing, one other thing I will mention is because this is after the Tuchanka bomb uh, mission. Uh, Javik is talking to Garrus, and Javik is all like, "Yeah, that was pretty cool. You guys like buried the bomb there, or whatever." And Garrus is like, "Yeah, sure." It yeah. Was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like uh, it's nice having that bomb, but it's also nice living to see tomorrow. Like, right? You know, Javik's actually kind of like, "Yeah, that Garrus guy. He's not so bad." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Javik is still, uh, still a fish out of water. He's getting his, uh, he's getting used to everybody there. So, so that said, let's get back to what we're here to talk about. The Tuchanka mission. So, uh, I don't even, I don't know if I should hold off on this or I just want to get to this, but a, a, a freaking Thresher Maw took out a Reaper. <laughs> what do you mean? What just happened? <laughs> I, this, well, is, this is good. There's a lot of good wild, like, Reaper interactions, like, fa- I don't, face-to-face, I guess you would call it, uh, on-the-ground Reaper interactions in this game. Uh, this one is, is, is amazing. It's, I mean, the whole... The whole build up to that, I have to like tip my hat because you you know they mentioned like as soon as like at the very beginning like oh there's a reaper blocking everything and you're like there's, you're thinking like a massive reaper no this is like a baby reaper it's like it's still huge don't get me wrong it's still still you know giant but it's not like the full was like two mile long you know cuttlefish looking thing that we're used to this is more like some kind of like looks maybe like an ant mine or something I don't even know like an aphid like yeah I guess it would be an aphid I don't know why I'm only naming insects with a but. Hey. But it's it's sort of a, a modified Reaper design. It's like their land-based Reaper kind of thing. Um, so it's not nearly as not nearly as terrifying as the other ones. I mean, not that the other ones are Yeah, it's still another one of the drone ones. Yeah. It's not still not the ones with the consciousness, so you know. Still loud and annoying, but at least it can't uh, talk smack to you while trying to kill you. Right. But it still has that annoying like eye beam, that laser. Which that whole sequence when you're working your way up the runes and like it's just shooting at you, the crew. I don't, I don't know who you who brought with you. I had uh, I had James and Liara, or no, uh, yeah, James and Liara, right? No, James and Edie. But both of them, they're just like losing their shit the whole time. They're just mm-hmm. like <laughs> Edie's like, if I was organic, that would burn. <laughs> like, 
Oh, that sounds interesting. I had Javik and Liara, so did not have that line. Did Javik have any special reactions or? Not that I can remember. I don't think so, no. But it's so chaotic because you're like ducking behind cover and they're like, yeah, I don't think cover is going to be enough here. And you're just kind of running. And then that's when you get saved by the, uh, the Turian, was it the Ak- Akarek is their name or whatever? The, the, the Turian ships, mm-hmm. the, the, the little like air, air, air force that's there. Yeah. That they at least come in to get you going. But even then, like the, the Reaper's still moving around. Yeah. Thank you. Aralak. And like, you know, it's moving its leg and it's just pounding the leg down and like stuff's exploding. And this is one, this is one of those things too. It's not like it's multiple. It's like there's just one attacking at the moment. And it's still kind of terrifying. Yeah. Imagine you, like, oh, yeah. Imagine you yeah. had like three or four of them just come burying at you like, we're gonna die. Right. Well, that's the other side of this that, get, that gets fun is because you're on your way to get to the Mawhammers to call... Uh, well, what's what's the what's the Threshermaw's name? I want to say like Corallus or something. It's something with a K. Uh, yeah, it is something with a K. I'm trying to re- recall. Um, but yeah, you have to. Uh, Cal Ross. Cal Ross. There it is. I kept wanting to say Kalima, and I was like, no, that's the thing. Kalima. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, call that- Kalima. Yeah, this is such a wild like sequence where you you're using like these ancient gongs to summon this like god of the deep effectively to come and fight the reaper for you. It's a very it's a cool juxtaposition. Of, it's like, like summoning Godzilla, you know. Yeah. Well, well, at what point did you realize like the whole point of Kalros was to fight the reaper? Because you you first meet in, like learn about Kalros when you're down in like the Turian mm-hmm. like subterranean runes. And as you're going through there, which it's a nice little moment there, like the lights are out. You've got your little flashlight on your your gun. Very, you know, again, always makes me think of Doom 3 whenever you have to have a flashlight on your gun. Yeah. But. Like, I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Right. But, like, you're, so you're going through these runes and they've got the, uh, well, fun. You start hearing tremors and you're like, well, that's not good. And then right. I'm thinking, too, like, whatever's causing the tremors, you're down here. Like, I'm going to have to fight something down here. And then you find the, the like, the glyph of Kalros, mm-hmm. which is just a giant. I mean, it's just a Thresher Maw glyph. It could be any size. And they're like, oh, no, this is like Queen of the Thresher Maws or Mother of the Thresher Maws or whatever. And you're like, all right, that's, you know, that, that's nice. But, um, yeah, like, I'm like, OK, so we're going to have to fight a Thresher Maw and a Reaper and all this. And I'm just like, this is like they're really throwing a ton at you. And I, I forget exactly when it was. It probably wasn't until I got out of the runes and like started talking. Like when the Thresher Maw started chasing Rex, I'm like, wait a minute. If the Thresher Maw can chase, you can lead it. Right. <laughs> That's probably and, where I realized too. It's like, okay, oh, we're, this thing is going to fight a Reaper. That's going to be cool. I, I figured it was just going to distract it long enough for us to get past it. I didn't expect it to take down, like fully just take down the Reaper. Like that, that is a very sick moment. And, oh yeah, and it's just like hmm, well, I need to get more of these to fight the rest of the reapers. Well, it it's cool though because it does the thing when like when you fight the Thresher Maws, you beat them down to a certain point, and then it retreats back underground. Right, and the the Reaper clearly not having fought a Thresher Maw before thinks it's over. Like it doesn't realize like oh no, it's gonna come up behind me. Right, <laughs> and so you're watching this. You're like oh, I've seen this before. I know what's about to happen. And then yeah, it pops up behind it and just grabs it. And then it twists around like a almost like a boa constrictor or something, just completely wrapping it up and just. Right, like I had to watch that like three times to be like, did it really just mm-hmm. pull a Reaper like into the the planet? <laughs> but I do, 
I do have to appreciate that they gave us that moment of, of a thresher mall beating a reaper because it's literally like a baby reaper versus like the biggest possible thresher mall. Like they had right. to be, like reduce one and beef the other up so it would be a fair fight. Uh, you know, and, and it worked. It completely worked. Um, because yeah, like yeah, you know, a two mile long reaper versus your average thresher mall probably is not a big, you know, brought, no, no contest there. But I still think the thresher mall had a chance. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, maybe. I mean, they're not, they're not, uh, they're obviously not, oh no, I mean, Shepard's beaten a Thresher Maw. Shepard, Shepard's, uh, yeah, actually Shepard versus Thresher Maws, I mean, on, on hand, you know, not, not in the Mako. I mean, you know, Sh- Shepard's at least taken one out and survived another attack, whereas, yeah. you know, the Reapers are 0 and 1. Yeah, well, presumably. Reapers yeah. 0. That we know of. Shepard 5. Pretty much. But yeah, it's literally the, uh, like my best day versus your worst day kind of thing. Yeah. And like, yeah, it, it worked out that way. But now if only that was just, that was just an awesome moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're saying it's like, it's like, now if only we could bring all the other Reapers, have them land on the planet real quick underneath there, drag some more special moss to them. And you know, we win the war. Well, well, well maybe that's the problem is instead of bringing the Reapers to the Thresher Maws, maybe we need to put like jetpacks on the Thresher Maws and send them <laughs> jet- into space. Just shoot them off like missiles. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a terrifying weapon, just dropping Thresher Maws on, on a planet or on a Reaper. Tattoo. That might be like how Reapers were formed. Is somebody like took a Thresher Maw type thing and like put it in space and then they just like evolved into Reapers? Well, well, um, do we the Leviathan we, DLC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. But going back to the runes for a moment, I did like the. Because like you're down there and you actually see like little inscriptions from the the krogan and it's basically hieroglyphs like the krogan have like little like egyptian style hieroglyphs on the wall so i was like that was a cool little piece of krogan culture and then later on even as you're walking along Edie even comments like krogan culture has devolved since the nuclear bomb like they were actually fairly civilized and now like and i think we've kind of talked about this before like with char the poet like there were krogan artists there was a culture like a krogan like culture and civilization and that's all gone um, because they're just so hostile to each other, and yeah, well, they they, uh, they had aggressive an, and militaristic. Well, they had a nuclear war that that only allowed the very strongest to survive with the strongest traits, and that was sadly not the scientists and the poets. One other cool moment when you're going through the runes, actually, well, actually, when you've come out of the runes, but you're still on your way trying to get catch up to uh, Rex and the convoy, uh, is that you find plant life. And, you know, basically, like, I think Edie's even like, you know, this is supposed to be like a dead zone. Like, there should be nothing growing here. And Eve comments, like, you know, like, that's basically like hope growing on this planet. Like, you know, it was once a verdant, lush planet. It can be again. If the Krogans just stop bombing each other. Right. Well, there seems to be an implication there. Like, after you cure the genophage, um, you know, like, you know, Rex has kind of like a victory speech moment. Like, he brings you into this temple or i'm not sure where it is exactly but he brings you to this place he's like over there that's where i had to kill my father because my father betrayed me um and now like you know because the genophage is cured like we won't have to pit like fathers against kids anymore and like we can actually have a civilization and there's a sense as much as rex kind of keeps making comments you know like oh yeah like we're gonna be expansionist and we're gonna be that like eve is kind of like you know we need to you know like we need to grow the culture again like we can become we can like we can come get beyond being just like what a Krogan currently is. Like we can get back to that having artists and having poets. 
Um, you know, and, and again, she even references hope being, you know, as far as like, you know, thank, she thanks Shepard for like giving him hope basically. Um, and so it's interesting how it's interesting one, I guess you could say like how it's the female that has to be the one sort of like moderating the, the, the male aggressive testosterone sort of aspect of the Krogan that they're all out there, you know, becoming mercenaries and butting heads and, and, you know, trying to kill each other. I mean, you see how tense, uh, earlier when Shepard first arrives, uh, you know, they have the meeting with all the clan heads and, you know, then like Morden standing there like, what's this Salarian doing here? And everybody gets all irritated and, you know, like guns are drawn and everything. And, you know, Rex has to calm them all down. And actually, again, Rex tries to calm them all down, but he doesn't even succeed. It's Eve who has to like, you know, kind of be the voice of reason again. That right. You've got this Krogan culture and Eve is the one moderating voice. Eve, this, the, you know, this, this notable female. It's, it's an interesting, an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, it really, I, it's, I like, I like and dislike this, right? Because it's, it's very like stereotypical. Here's the role of the genders, and the males are warlike, and the females, frankly, are a lot more sensible and strategic and long term planning. And like, I mean, sure, okay, fine. Uh, but I like, I like Eve as a character, and Rex for a Krogan is is reasonably strategic, and and I do like watching those two butt heads, and I don't know. Or even though he likes to he likes to fight and do everything else, he's also reasonable and and makes other plans besides just punching each other. Right, right. And even in that position, like Eve is like, buddy, you gotta you gotta relax. <laughs> you gotta like play the long game and like you know think about rebuilding Tichanka and like prioritize sort of the growth of your species species culturally again. And it's certainly the right decision. Well, well, that's what when you leave them like. There's the impression there that like even Rex are going to like co-lead, right? Like, Absolutely. Well, like, I, you know whether he, I, I don't I don't know who's actually I guess like you know whoever's like the, I guess it's Rex's Rex is the leader and then like Eve is like his first lady kind of thing, but she's still going to have very strong input into everything. And I mean, even then she's like, oh, I got to go meet with these other people in the valley here and kind of start uh, getting them on the same page and stuff. I mean, they're, they're yeah. It's, you know, it, it seems like that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like they may, they might have a chance to actually restore Krogan civilization because Rex, as far as a, a male Krogan leader is fairly calm. And then he as the additional moderating influence of Eve. And they're both also very high ranking. They're both respected. Mm -hmm. They've both, you know, they both come up. It's not, you know, it's one of those things too, where, and maybe this is the problem with Krogan civilization going back is that you just get the wrong Krogan in charge who just wants to start throwing nukes around and just, you know, and then, and then at that point, everything falls apart. So as long as they can stay in charge and as long as they can establish a decent enough, right. you know, su succession line, you know, kind of keep the right Krogans in, in charge here, they can actually grow the civilization beyond what it currently is. And they have kind of a reset opportunity. Sorry, go ahead, Kara. I say like, it's also nice that Eve doesn't take shit from nobody. So, you know. Yes. Things will get done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She she is still a Krogan at heart, too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And they have this, like, reset opportunity where their whole civilization got, uh, I mean, they, they nuked themselves and then only sort of a certain type of Krogan was, a, like, the predominant survivors of that. Uh, but now they've had this, like, reset of the genophage and they get a new opportunity to sort of multiply their species, maybe favoring different traits. So. Yeah, and maybe they can use the shroud a little better for just actually keeping the planet alive instead of just fighting well, each other. Well, they can't use the shroud anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's fair. I kind of forgot that part. But the the Morden Solus Memorial Rubble. <laughs> it actually makes me kind of wonder, then, with the, sh with the shroud not being there. 
how they keep the air on the planet? Is there enough well, plant no, life to keep the everything? Shroud, like, keeps the atmosphere in. I think it's it's like a decontamination thing, right? It said it, it, was, it was repairing the atmosphere, so try to figure out how Repairing that the atmosphere, works. yeah. I thought of that more as like a decontamination sort of scrubbing okay. system. Yeah. That's one thing I'm just wondering. Like, once they stop fighting each other a little bit, can they actually clean up the planet a little bit, get some new trees on there, clean up, make it like, I don't know, less dust storms? I mean, I think that's, you know, that's kind of the, the shroud is just meant to accelerate that natural process, um, you know, and now the shroud has been running for a while. Okay, apparently 2,000 years. Uh, and, and so probably has done at least some amount of terraforming good. Um, and maybe, maybe that's kind of the point, right? Where they see the, the plants and they see sort of the growth coming back where they don't expect it is nature is healing to some extent. Right. Well, if the shroud is a necessary thing to help repair the planet, then I'm sure that will go on the list of things to do is build a new shroud. Sure. And maybe build it in such a way that it cannot be used to disperse the genophage and maybe include it. It'll, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's hard, right? You have something that is is literally just doing intake and output of atmosphere. I don't know how you prevent that from putting stuff I mean, in the atmosphere. It's funny that that's how Morden dies, because that's literally like the mission we had when we first met him on Omega. Was go and put the cure into the ventilation system. Oh yeah, how oh, it is, and then yeah. everybody will get healed. And and we basically did the same thing on a bigger scale now. Yeah, and now Morden is now forever part of Tachanka. Yes. Yeah, he's in the air you breathe. I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I have to say they they did do a nice job of basically like making the cure take the form of like snow, like when like you know when like the you know when uh, Morton gets the cure in and then like the shroud blows up and it's like, it's just like this little, this little like pollen dust almost. It looks like falling all over to Chanka, but to, it, it reads this like snow to me. It's almost like it's, yeah. it's like a, a happy mass effect Christmas special. <laughs> right. I, I, I do think this also foreshadows a future, another part of the ending of the game. So there's that. They fight Santa Claus <laughs> at DLC. Absolutely. <laughs> Reapers versus Santa Claus, the ultimate fight. Hmm. And Santa Claus curls around a Reaper and pulls it into the planet. Or, or, so, or acid at it, Santa Claus and all his elves. <laughs> Actually, Santa Claus should have Mass Effect technology. That would explain how he can get all over the planet so quickly. Santa Claus is actually a, a living Prothean, you know. What <laughs> if you survived instead of fighting? He just wants to give presents to everybody. The galaxy sucks. Gifts. Uh, I like I like this uh little note you have over here in the notes. What's that? Motherfucking Ragnar here. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Which, yeah. Well, there, there's another mission about them which I've actually done another time, so I should have understood that. But yeah, they caught me completely off guard. Um, and Shepard is a bit of an idiot. Yes, because. Like okay, you like you real like because you you see these things. They look like like oh, they they look like big like sacks that have like tech kind of like thrown around them, and they got legs. Like they don't look like the rachni that we've dealt with before. And you know, like you kill one, and then you know Edie analyze it, and she's like, "I sense rachni DNA." And Shepard's like, "Rachni, I told the queen to you know stay right. out, of, you know stay out of it." And it's like 
if you look at that thing, that is not arachni. <laughs> like it's it's oh. very clearly been like reaper yeah. it's actually kind of funny because it, it's like the reverse of the mission we actually meet the rachni because they literally the same thing happens like why'd you do that well do you think they got a choice you're gonna go yell at all the humans for all the husks all the batarians for all the all the little cannibals you know dead how'd you let yourself get reaperized come on right right and yeah and then like you're like okay like so so clearly the, the the reapers got to the rachni which makes sense they've gotten everybody um but the rachni like i like i'm not sure if it's were worse like because like i guess it it's more obvious in the rachni but it's like <laughs> the way the the way the tech is it's like they're just their flesh is just bursting out of it there's like a little bit of blood coming out where the, where the where the tech is and it's kind of like man the reapers just didn't like you at all reapers don't care can you can you shoot firebombs? <laughs> well, technically, with, with, it, with incendiary ammo, yes. Yeah. I mean, they're they're not, uh, you know, they're a decent threat on the battlefield. I mean, they. I mean, that is kind of like the one neat thing is like as you're going through, like they just kind of like drop in and then like they're just start like lobbing firebombs at you. Like you gotta take cover, and they're 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 annoying to fight. Well, not if you light them on fire. If you light them on fire, they're pretty easy to fight. That's true for everything, pretty much. Yes, for some reason, barrier, shields, and armor, fire takes it all down. But yeah, it's 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 fitting though that the Rachni would f- come into play in the Tuchanka mission because the Rachni are a big part of Krogan history. That that's what the re- the whole reason they were uplifted was to fight the Rachni. So it's fitting that like the Rachni are here in some form, even if it's completely at the will of the reapers yeah it's actually mm-hmm. kind of funny it's kind of like a zombie attack too because they basically are resuscitated brought back to life with reaper tech kind of racked nigh. so it's like oh the dead the, so the dead of our past great so if you don't save the rachni queen in mass effect one do you still get the rachni here you must yes they must you have do. found like another you do they must have found like yeah another source of rachni yes it's there's some like weird MacGuffin of like there was like preserved rachni DNA that they used anyway because they can. <laughs> it's it's actually one of the one of the most valid criticisms in this of this game where people are like oh your choices don't matter and it's all the same is is this the that rachni mission with Grunt where there's just like well, yeah that one and also as we talked a little bit about earlier uh, and we'll definitely talk much more about later. Um, Anderson stepping down as counselor and being right. replaced by Udina. Right. Like th- those, uh, I would say if anything, like those two decisions, like are the ma- big decisions coming out of the first game. Like the Anderson and, one, I feel like you can rationalize, right? Like you can at least be like, okay, sure. It kind of makes sense that he would do that. There's a war on, he's going to step down. He didn't want the position anyway. Fine. Great. Right. But the Ragnite queen one just sucks. Yeah. Like it just feels bad. Yeah. It's like, no, I chose to kill this thing. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, because it's yeah, because the whole I mean, that's the whole weight of the decision is right. that you're balancing this the, the existence of this species versus, you know, the possible threat to the universe. Yeah. And it's like, oh, actually, there was there was a, there was another, you know, it's like, you know, you kill the Rachni and then Yoda's like, you know, there's still another. <laughs> right. There is another. Yeah. OK. All right. I think it's like an artificial one or something where it's already fully transformed by the Reapers. So you can't do anything yeah. with this one, whereas the regular one, you can at least least somewhat negotiate with 
Yeah. Yeah. I always say the Rachni Queen, so you know. The artificial one, you can you can strike a deal with it. It'll also be like, no, please don't kill us. We'll be good now. And then it betrays you and like takes off a crap load of galactic readiness if you are dumb enough to do that. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. We'll get to that in time. We will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. How, how ready is everybody's galaxy now? <laughs> like a lot. I don't know, like 7,500 um, or something at the end of the game. I don't know. I, I, I'm like maybe like a third of the way past the minimum, so I still I still feel like I have a lot to go. But you'll get there. Oh yeah, that's what I figure. But one other thing I did like on this mission, um, after you get past the immediate danger of the Reaper, that's when you encounter the brute. Mm-hmm. And okay, one brute. It's there's it's dusty. I just see like it's in my reticle. It says brute. I can't actually see the brute, but I start shooting at it. I'm I'm using my vanguard powers. I take it out. Come around the corner. Now there's two brutes, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right. And I actually I'm watching my replay of this, and I had a really nice move where like the one brute was charging at me, but then I hit my charge just before it got to me on the other brute. So like I charged out of the way and hit the other brute. I was like, that was nice. Nice. And then. Yeah, and then I'm fighting them, and I think I got the one brute down to almost dead, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm just making a run for it. And I'm glad that I did, because I'm pretty sure there's at least four brutes in that area. <laughs> like, as I, I went over, and I'm coming back, and I still see the brutes. I'm like, okay, there's these two, and then I'm looking, like, no, no, there's those two. <laughs> I, I don't know how many brutes were there. I don't. But at that point, I was just like, I am not fighting all these guys. I don't think it's infinite. Like, I think there's a finite number of guys that you can kill out there, but it's probably just it's a lot easier to just make it make for the gongs yeah, yeah it makes sense though for the there'll be a lot of a lot of brutes here because it's a chanka it's like hey we got plenty of krogan got some turians let's sure. put them together well i i do like how they held them to like the very end of the mission and they're like and they throw you the first one like okay like this feels like the final boss kind of thing like that's usually how the the brutes kind of come in like okay like you know they're they're the main challenge at the end like obviously you're not going toe to toe with the reaper in this situation here because you're the whole point is to get Calross on there but like okay so you know I get past the brute I go to the gongs whatever and then like okay then there's two and then it's just like at what point do you realize like yeah I'm just this like screw this I'm not dealing yeah, with this yeah just yeah and so I guess getting back to Morden. Um, you know, that whole sequence there when you, you know, after you ring the gongs, after the Reaper gets pulled away, um, you know, Shepard goes in by, by him or herself. And then you get that moment with Morden where it becomes very clear, like, this is it. Like he knows, he he knows he's going up there. Has to be him. Somebody else would get it wrong. Um, Has to be. Somebody else would mess up. The other thing that I do like is the number of times he says problematic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and he has some great dialogue. Actually, there is a ton of great dialogue throughout this mission. Um, the whole banter between Shepard and Rex, while Rex is driving the convoy, uh, you know, ahead of Cal Ross, and he's like, Shepard, just get over here, just get over here. And Shepard's like, I'm trying. <laughs> I got a little busy here, Rex. And then Rex is like, Yeah, we're we're almost ahead of the almost ahead of the Reaper or the uh the Thresher Maw. Um there's just great, great banter between the two of them. Um and even then, he's like, "We've got this plan. It's kind of crazy. We'll tell you about it later." Like, you know, that's that's when, like, okay, they 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 came to the same conclusion that we did. Um, it's great. Um, we should also probably pour one out real quickly for Erdnot Reeve, uh, who just was sitting there in his truck when uh, the Thresher Maw just came 
We just ate them. <laughs> yeah, well. Well, the, the, the Thresher Mall needed its iron, so, you know. Yes. Great line by Morden, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, overall, like, just the, the dialogue on this mission is just top-notch, and the interactions, and... The, the the way that everybody's like stress is playing against each other and everybody's just dealing with the just immeasurable odds they're up against. It's just very well done. Yeah. Very well done. Yeah. So all of that said, getting back to Morden again for a moment. Um yeah, it, it's 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 such a little it's it's a nice little coda to the character like it's a send off for the character, basically. Like it's you know, this is you know, he he this is his culmination of like he even said, my project, my work, you know, has to be me. Um, you know, like of all the discussions that Shepard has in Mass Effect 2, like not to say that Shepard is pushing him to accepting, you know, like suicide, you know, that, oh, you need to kill yourself as, as a, you know, uh, you know, as justification for what you did, but it's, you know, at least he's, he's accepting the responsibility. And once it becomes clear, like part of that acceptance of that responsibility in this case, just because of the situation means you have to go in the suicide mission up the elevator. Um, you know, he's, he's fully accepted that and it's it's tough yeah it's tough yeah I, but somebody else could have gotten it wrong so you know he does have a nice moment after Shepard talks to him when he's going up in the elevator and he just like closes his eyes and takes a deep breath mm-hmm. and it's just it's like it's so so human it's just you know he's he, it's like I know what I'm about to do and like this is it. And yeah. He, it's impressive too. Like he gets out of the elevator and like everything is just blowing up around him. Literally like somehow he and the computer that he needs to get to are fine. Right. And the computer he needs to get to is still working, even though it's all the way up at the top of this thing that's blowing up around him. Um, but he does what he needs to do. And then uh, what is it? His last line is like a new beginning. And then like, as soon as he says that, like the, the room explodes. Yeah. And he's gone. He did not the like that. Have saved. A, yeah. Krogan are saved. The Krogan are saved, and Rex will name one of the kids after him, or maybe uh, maybe a girl. Yeah, it's a good Probably line. A but Eve, though, I, I I mean that's the other thing too. Is like Eve actually kind of like mourns him a little bit, which makes sense because <laughs> they like became good friends in the med bay. Sure, yeah. And and she also had another line that kind of gutted me. It's the last thing she says is, is she calls Shepard her friend, and then she gives gives him her name. She says like uh, you're a friend of Erdnot Baraka. And just like the fact that she actually finally shares her name with Shepard, she's not just Eve, which is what Morton had christened her. Um, you know, it was very, it was very heartwarming that even though amidst all the loss and the, the struggle of this mission, like it's very optimistic coming out of it. I mean, you, you know, Rex is excited to, you know, Rex is excited. He's like, yeah, I'll send the the, the Krogan to Palavin, and we'll, you know, and when you need me for Earth, we'll be ready to, you know, take care of Earth too. Like Rex is all excited. Um, it's one of those missions like it, there's a lot of heartbreak, but it ends on an upbeat note that, you know, like, OK, like, you know, we're, we're getting our stuff together as far as being able to fight the fight, the the, the Reapers. Getting the forces all ready to go. One, then, one, one problem with this, though, the sacrifice is uh, because of this. Now you don't have more than to work on the crucible because mm. if you did all the weird ways of keeping him alive, more than go on next to go. uh He'd keep he'd keep researching this to try to cure the genophage, but within also work on the uh, the crucible, adding his scientific knowledge to it. Well, see, but that's the thing though yeah. is like, oh, that's right, we forgot to mention too. 
Um, because even then, before you get to the planet, uh, you get a message from the Dalatras. Oh, right, yeah. The, the, uh, who basically says, like, oh, by the way, your plan's not going to work. We've we've assumed somebody would try to put a cure into the, the shroud, and so we've booby trapped it. Um, but Morden Morden will be able to figure that out. But so maybe you don't let Morden do that. <laughs> and if you don't, like the Krogan will think, yeah, you you spread the cure, and the Krogan will be happy. And uh, yeah, then uh, they won't actually be a threat in the future because the Genophage will still be in play. And then you get at least two chances to come clean. Like Eve yes. uh, keeps looking at Shepard like, what's going on with you? You're being weird. And the first time I'm like, I'm not, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> I got nothing to say. And then the second time she's like, Shepard, you're still being weird. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm coming clean. Yeah. Which <laughs> So like, did you, you, you guys told her about. The, I told, I, yeah, I. I think I spilled the beans the second time too. I was kind of first time I was like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, and then I told them and they were like, so you're not gonna, right? You still have the option of lying to them and being like, no, 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 I'm totally going to take your side. We're going to, we're going to get this fixed. And then you can absolutely like shoot Morton in the back uh, right at the end there if you want, which I, I did not do. Wait, you actually actually sh- literally shoot Morton in the back. Yeah. You can, you can fake him out right at the end. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's brutal. That'd it's be, not good. That's so dirty. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It sucks. Um, but yeah, and then you get out and you're just like, oh, that building's blowing up with poor Morgan who saved everything. It's yeah, like, no, yeah, and it's like well, he's dead at the bottom, crushed all under, under all. The- wow. <laughs> yep. Well, I could yeah. not do that to our boy Morgan. It's like if he's gonna go out, he can at least go out doing something, not just being stabbed in the yeah. back. That's just no. I agree. Know. I I think that the net outcome of like, because here's the thing: if you don't, uh, I guess spoilers ahead if you're playing along at home. Uh, so skip ahead about. 30 seconds. If you don't cure the genophage, the crew can figure it out like before the end of the war and they are pissed. Oh. Yeah, like they don't, they don't, it doesn't like it kind of works until right up at the end of the game, at which point they're like, uh, no, actually this sucks. So you still get like the Turian assistance and you get a brief, you know, I mean, you get a bump of like Krogan assistance, but then they realize like you didn't help them and they, they back out. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah. So, cause I, I mean, cause to me, like if you're trying to game the war resource numbers, that seems like the best option because it's like, you get the bump from the Krogan resources, you get the bump from the Solarian resources. Nobody's wondering like, Hey, how come the Solarians are all okay with everything that happened? Like, right. It all pay, like, if you're just trying to min max that number, like that's kind of the route to go. And I guess it's good to see like, Oh, if you do try that, it's, it, you know, it's, I, I think like, it's oh, a net loss. Or, yeah, screw you. I think it's a net loss. I think like you lose. The Solarian, because you still get Solarian resources. Like even if you don't like, uh, even if you don't sabotage the Genophage cure, you still get some amount of Solarian resources. Uh, you get more if you do sabotage it, but then like you get way more in Krogan assets than you get from just the Solarian bump. Because that's that's the one thing that I'm wondering is like a lot of these decisions. I feel like they have to be roughly equitable. Like, okay, like maybe you don't, you know, like you, maybe you don't get the, you know, you choose the sabotage or whatever. And even if you're, you know, above, I guess as above board as you can be, um, you know, you, you, you decide to sabotage the mission or whatever, like you lose the Krogan support, but you know, you get roughly what you should have gotten in the Solarian. I mean, maybe there's a slight difference. Well, no, I think that, because I mean, I, ultimately I, I can, I can't imagine that they would want you to be able to do a playthrough where, you just barely get enough. And maybe that's how it's set up, actually. It's like you can do like a really crappy playthrough where you get just enough resources to make the minimum and then you get you the, can. the crappiest of the endings. That, that is correct. Sense. That is exactly how that works. Yeah. So it definitely I'm, I'm looking this up to get the specific numbers now, but like it, it is it, it's definitely like 
stacked. The game is stacked such that like making good decisions, like the most equitable decisions, I would I would argue, uh, and generally not going on a murder spree. Uh, is going to give you the best galactic readiness. And not even like the most good ones, but at least most tactically make the most sense. Also that, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, because that's, I have to say, that was the, the, the first surprise in all of this, is that, like before you even start the mission proper, the Dalatras just radios and like, oh, here, let's throw a moral quandary at you. <laughs> like, like and, and, and just from there, just from there, going on the whole thing, it's just a roller coaster. Um. But yeah, this this is. I mean, this has to be. This is one of my favorite things in Mass Effect overall. Like, I mean, this whole sequence, the whole the whole mission is just amazing. And I and as I said, I have yet to beat the rest of the game here. I mean, I'm 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 a little bit further ahead than this, but um, there's still there's there's good stuff coming. There's still some good stuff coming that too. Oh, there is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a section. I know you haven't done uh, Rannoch yet because I would know. Like, no, we would know if you had. I'm oh, just yeah. saying, like, look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, uh, I think you're gonna have a so lot to say about the Rainock mission, but this is I'm, this I is think I will. still my favorite. Uh, like, just end to end mission because it's it's just wall to wall awesome. Like, from the moment you get down there and you're like in the highway chase and then in the tunnels, like it just it's great. Well, plus too, there's like a sense like the Thresher Maw is just one of the biggest land based threats to Shepard that exists i mean it's it, there i mean that's why it was so amazing in two when you took one out you know with your squad like that should have been impossible that was a, a feat right. in and of itself yeah and you know and then it's like okay and then so like to have the thresher mall against the reaper it's like like even the planets themselves are against the reaper invasion yeah. like Everybody, on, a, on like an it. elemental level the this galaxy does not want the reapers here right and is is you know uniting behind shepherd like you should get war resources like the thresher maws are helping you build the crucible or something god i'd love to have a squad of thresher maws <laughs> it's like uh, i don't want to say I, last time i mentioned book of boba fett you were like i haven't seen it yet uh Kura. so i'm not going to i'm not going to mention it, it, there's a certain part at the end of Book of Boba Fett that, that, that that'd be like. Well, I'm on vacation soon, so uh, I can eventually see that. <laughs> so, but yeah. So anyway, re- real quickly, then um, I think that pretty much wraps up everything on Tuchanka itself proper, right? So, so Shepard heads back to the ship, checks in with Hackett as per standard. Uh, Hackett's like, everything looks good, good job there. I don't know how you pulled that off, but you you you, you know threaded the needle. And then Shepard has a nice little moment with Garrus. Uh, because uh, Victus is like, okay, you know, you know, I'll commit the, I'll commit the Turian troops to help, or you know, helping on Earth now that we've got the Krogans coming in to help Palavin. Um, and he's like, you know, uh, he's like, oh, we've got some dry dock ships that can help build with building the Crucible. And he's like, Garrus will take care of all overseeing all that. And so Victus is off the ship now. And then Garrus, you know, like Shepard's kind of looking at the war resources stuff, and Garrus comes over. He's like, hey, he's like, hey, how you doing? How you doing there, buddy? Yeah. And it's a nice little. It's a nice little moment where Garrus is again, like just kind of, you know, making because sh- that's the thing is like nobody's nobody's overseeing Shepard. Shepard goes around checking on the crew all the time. Hey, how you doing? Let's work through your issues. You know, I'll play psychologist. Nobody's doing that for Shepard. So Garrus is at least kind of stepping up a little bit and just being like, make sure you go get some rest here because this is this is a, a grind that we're in. Right. Yeah. Take care yeah. of yourself. Like, don't, he- don't heavy get shit. burnt out. A lot, lot of, lot of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of trauma. 
and yeah, and and so Shepard goes, and his, as has been the course for this game, his trauma manifests in that creepy dream with the uh, you know the burning trees, and you can see like the background of the trees. It's like, I guess I don't know if it's supposed to look waving or whatnot, but you can see it's like a straight texture, like a flat texture for trees. Yeah, they literally just like undulating that. Like I mean, but it's a, it's a dreamscape, so like yeah, you can kind of get away with those kind of graphics. Um, I mean, the people I mean, how there are all look like your regular the, dreams. Are your dreams high definition? My dreams are 4K. Okay. Did I have an edible before I went to sleep? Oh, <laughs> uh, may not be your sorry. dreams that are in high definition. Yeah, <laughs> high definition. Um, I hate these. I mean, I'm already on record. I hate these stupid dream sequences. Oh, I, didn't see I just they're, they're like they're actually like immersion breaking for me. Like it's just kind of like, oh, why is this here? Like it pulls me out of the game. The one thing that I did like in this one is like as Shepard's chasing the the kid, mm-hmm. like you hear quotes from various crew members, and in particular, you get Morden saying, "What well, had to be me? Someone else would have gotten it wrong." And you also get, uh, you know, at least for me, because I, uh, Caden was the Vermeer survivor. You get Ashley saying, "Like, no, go save Caden. I'll, you know, I'll take care of this or whatever. Worry, yeah. you know, worry about him." And so it's the. It, it's the cumulative guilt just building up on Shepard that you can see is weighing him down. And, and it's interesting because the, the people there all look like the, uh, if you ever play shadow of the Colossus, mm-hmm. like as you kill the Colossus, oh, you yeah. get the little dark figures kind of standing around and you've got the same thing here. You've got all these dark figures standing around. And in that game too, it's a similar kind of mechanic where like, you know, I mean, there's a, a lot more direct corruption going on as you kill the Colossi. And like this is a symbol of that. Not that Shepard's getting corrupted here necessarily, but just like the weight of his past is manifesting in these shadowy well, figures. Um, I kind of wonder, like, actually getting kind of corrupted, just because of just the just the trauma itself is just makes it harder and harder to try to figure out what you're making the best decisions with all that weighing down and not getting it off your chest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I get what they, I think. The problem that I have with these is that they're so um, they're so heavy handed. They're so in your face. Like, look at this trauma that Shepard's suffering, and especially like to have that right after that nice moment with Garrus, where Garrus, you know, is like, "Hey, look, I see this is wearing on you. Go get some rest." Like that, I feel like would have been more powerful if it wasn't followed up by "Remember all the people who died in this dream sequence you're gonna have." Yeah, being sad. Like, yeah, we get it, man. Well, but I think the implication here, though, is like, is Shepard sleeping? Like, Garrus yeah. says, go get some rest. And Shepard goes, immediately gets rest. And then he immediately has that dream and wakes up. And, and yeah. then, like, as soon as he wakes up, then Liara comes in. We'll talk about what Liara comes in to talk to him about next time. But, like, like he, I mean, I, I, like, I, like, I legitimately don't know, like, what is Shepard doing in his downtime? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, I mean, if he can't, if he, if he can't sleep because he keeps having this nightmare... It doesn't matter even if Garrus is like, you know, go sit in your, like, he's just sitting in his room on the edge of his bed, like, just like, you know, staring at the wall for eight hours yeah. or something when he's supposed to be resting. It's, yeah. you know, which is, it makes his combat performance super impressive if he's able to, you know, still perform at a high level, well, maybe not that high level, I'm playing on one of the easier modes, <laughs> but if, you know, he's able to to still handle that with, like, no sleep, but well, is, I, 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 I don't know, I don't know how much he's actually getting. Well, it's like, also, that's also, is he actually handling things at his, at his best or her best? It's like, literally, we might not be getting the best from Shepard because of being just exhaustion, just mental exhaustion. Could be just taking a toll yeah. on everything else. But I will also say, like, these sequences, I, like, I get their intent, 
I just think the execution of how to do it was not done f- very well. Right. It could have been probably shorter. It probably could have even just been a cutscene instead of actually like playing through it. It's just kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of quick. Yeah, I th- a 15, 20 second cutscene probably would have gone a long way because like there is definitely a point. This is the other thing I hate about these is like I started wandering off and I lost sight of the kid, which you're supposed to do. Like the kid kind of comes in and out. And then I just like, I was just walking for a while, like maybe a minute and never found him. And it was just like, I hate, I don't want to be here. This sucks. Yeah. That kind of pacing kind of like hurts the little, what they're trying to do. Yeah. Ironically, that might be the thing that Shepard should do. Just like not chase the kid. Just go find a little area. Just sit down. And just be like, I'm just going to sit here because I know that I'm actually sleeping while this is happening. And I'm just yeah. going to wait. If I don't chase the kid, he won't self-immolate and then and, uh, yeah and like the, the kid like yeah the kid just sort of like spontaneously combusting at the end or whatever I, I, like who is this kid why do i care about this kid i i don't know it i just i don't like anything about these dream sequences it, like it, it just it, doesn't uh, land for me yeah like this sequence i think would have made more sense with like thinking about victus or something or more than actually being in that place and things happening right because they literally just lost them they're thinking about them or thinking about one of their 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 current their companion who they're trying to pet they're trying to romance maybe have them in there yeah. instead. Well, it's the, th- the thing the thing about the kid though is that like you talk about Victus you talk about Morden like they're all they're all complicit in their own demise like they've all made decisions along the way that have led to that and the kid is is like to Shepard is the the representation of innocence yeah I mean, I, mean I get it I think I get it too hard and that's my problem with it is it's like yeah I get, I feel like I'm being beaten over the head with this and and it's not it's not subtle at all it just it feels it i mean it just feels really phoned in it, it just feels manipulative in a way that it's, it's like for, it it's doesn't. forced like we literally were yeah a for good is, reason to care about the kid besides it being right. a kid it's like i'm like um didn't actually have any yeah. interaction with like like because i remember back yeah, maybe one that one interaction and that was it right yeah it, it's a little different yeah. than like when we were playing the watch the movie where we had the we had a kid in there. We had a uh, we like them because we see them interacting, having having a relationship. Here it's like you met them for like five seconds. You you chase this kid around some air ducts and then they died and then somebody's like I didn't see any kid and so maybe it's a ghost kid. Who knows? I don't know. I just what if? What is the thing? We know that Shepard can can play the field. He you know he has that option. Mm-hmm. What if this is uh you know maybe you know Paramore had a kid. The timelines line up and maybe he's just kind of watching the kid from the far. Not knowing that, you know, and, 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 you know, now he'll never get the kid chance to approach him and be like, hey, you know, you're going to grow up and look a little bit like me. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it, if it actually done something that had been similar to that, maybe. But even then, it's like, I don't know. Random person I don't, don't care about them. Whatever, whatever message this, like, or whatever feeling this was trying to evoke, I just, I just know it, it didn't, it did kind of the opposite for me. Well, as I said, I just, I just liked the, the lines from the the crew past. Yes, like, that's all. Like the I like that. Uh, I like that part of the dream sequence. That's what that's what is is so frustrating about this. Is I feel like you could have had these dream sequences where you remembered, you know, people in your past who died, and like they could have pulled from a lot of people who did die in this. I mean, they could yeah. have been like sh- they could have shepherds running just in randomly through the forest. Didn't even have to have the kid. Literally, could just be running, have no destination, and then hear those voices. Right, trying yeah. to. Trying to catch up with whoever, you know, the Vermeyer non-survivor or or Morden or whomever. Like, there's other deaths that, spoilers, there's more deaths coming. Like, there's, yeah. Spoiler, war has death. Who knows? Yeah, right? Yeah. 
Anyway. Anyway. As I said, so Shepard wakes up from the dream and Liara comes into the room and she has a message for Shepard. And we'll get to that next time. All right. Cliffhanger. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tune in for more. I gotta say, all I'll say is that like as much as I enjoyed this, I enjoyed what's coming next just as much. <laughs> so and I'll, I will be eating some crow next time as well. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff I said earlier on that did not age well, but that's besides the point. I'm trying to, I, 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 I better make a note of this. I'm trying to remember what you said. Now I'm curious. I'll tell you. I'll, t- I'll tell you in a moment. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, any other final thoughts on Tuchanka or the dreams or uh, Liara and her plan to recreate the Prothean beacons? Basically, or we're, we're all good. Uh, only good. one thing. Only one thing mentioned probably is like that's a little note up here. Is a little note from Edie. Apparently, back on Earth. Some politicians are getting invited to the Reapers for little, little peace talks. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. They're, e- yeah, even though they're like decimating the planet, they're still like inviting the the the, the, the like the world leaders in to meet with them and uh, indoctrinating them. And then yeah, and then it becomes illegal to fight the Reapers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how, how's that going for them? <laughs> not not great. Yeah, I'd be a little suspicious about Reapers. Like, don't fight them. They're shooting and blowing us up. Don't fight them. I'm like. They're doing, they're doing what they need to do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So things things are going well, and we'll 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 pick this up next time. Then, so thank you to Jared for producing and editing, and thank you for listening. We are at Squad Goals N Seven on Twitter, also at the Mash Network. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mash those buttons. Also YouTube at youtube.com slash mash those buttons. Chip, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at wd. So we're double y e w d e e. Uh, and here on the Mash Network on Wondrous Tales, where every two weeks we talk about Final Fantasy fourteen. Nick, where can folks find you? You mean Kura? <laughs> wow, yeah, I do. I do mean Kura. <laughs> I was like, I, like I was so proud order. of myself for I. The last like four episodes, I've said I'm on the show that I'm already on. Like I'll be like, oh yeah, you can also find me on Squangles here on Squangles. Like I, and I was so proud of myself that I just I couldn't stick the landing. Uh, Kura, where can folks find you? Oh, okay. It's my turn. Cool. Anyway, so you can find me. On, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Kurabaras, K U R A B A R S, or on twitch.tv slash Kurabara. And uh, you can also find me occasionally talk about Apex Legends on our uh, Apex show, Dropping Spicy. And you can follow us there at Dropping Spicy on Twitter. And uh, what about you, Nick? Got any cool things you do? You don't do anything else, right? No, no, I don't, but. Uh, Chip, you know, I know this podcasting can be difficult. You know, maybe you need to take a break, you know, get some sleep. Oh, my God. It's uh, no, it's, no. A of, it's a lot of stress. No, <laughs> I see dead people. Uh, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I am at WookieBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, talking about Warcraft news and guild management, and also on the Torn and the Goblin, talking about Warcraft story and lore. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at mash.gg slash Discord and email us your thoughts or questions. Let us know how awesome you thought this mission was or, uh, you know, how much you don't like the dream sequences or maybe you do like the dream sequences or, or maybe you don't care for Liara's plan. Or even better, what would you put in a time capsule? There you go. What would you put in a time capsule? Email us at squadgoals at mash.gg. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. Visit mtv.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where you can support this show by joining Squad Goals membership at $1.25 per episode or $5 a month. You can provide general support for $2 a month, and you can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link, where you can get codes for Steam, Epic Game Store, You Play, and more. Or check out our PayPal one-time donation link 
over to mtb.gg support. And stay tuned to hear about other shows on the Mesh Those Buttons Network. For Chip and Kura, I'm Nick, and I should go. See you, Commander. This is my favorite podcast on the network. I think it's time for us all to get some rest. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out mashthosebuttons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mashthosebuttons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash the Mash Network, facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord.